save man's soul. Our prayer today. Lord Jesus, would you speak to me? In Jesus' name. Amen. It's bad when you mess up a prayer, isn't it? <laughs> there are places in Scripture that are so powerful, so deep, to recite them is to experience them. Today, in, your, in those Bibles you were holding up, would you turn to Psalm 23? Because it's one of those places. One scholar has said, the psalm itself is green pasture. The psalm itself is still water. The psalm itself restores my soul. Psalm 23 is very personal. As I said in the hospital room Friday night with the family, I, this psalm came to my heart, came to my mind, and God began to just have verses flow into my heart, into my mind, and, and I should have brought those out to the family. But I was needing some comfort myself as a shepherd in that room. And there's countless preachers who will testify to the fact that they use this psalm in many of the funeral messages that they will preach. It's a balm to wounded souls. David references we or us or they. Uh, I should say there's no references to we, us, or they, but only my and me and I and you. It's a personal testimony of his experience with God. But what comforts us and helps us in this psalm is its confidence. David really believes what he says in Psalm 23 about God. He realizes, and we can realize as we linger over these words, that what David writes is not poetic exaggeration or theoretical theology. He has experienced God in these ways, heard His voice, followed His lead, felt His care. And beneath the beauty of his words, there are solid convictions formed as we go through crisis. Any of you ever been where that young man was in that video? Asking God why. Why, why, why? It's hard to grasp the things that David brings out in this psalm. He wrote it a thousand years before Christ. But he leaves us clues in this psalm, or in this particular psalm, that help us work through crisis in our life. Notice that in the first three verses, David refers to God in the third person. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He restores my soul. Then in verses 4 and 5, David shifts. He refers to him in the second person. He says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. You anoint my head with oil. And then he closes by re returning to the third person. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So why does David switch from talking about God with he 
to talking to God with you. And why does it happen in verse 4? Why didn't he just go on to say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for he is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. I want to suggest to you this morning that the change he to the more intimate you happens in verse 4 precisely because it's there he speaks of the valley that he's walking. He's felt the shadows closing in. Verse 4 describes the crisis points in his life. And in those times, something deep happened between him and between God. You've noticed it too, haven't you? We're more prone to talk about God when we are in the green pastures and more prone to talk to God when we're in those deep ravines. In the light, we are prone to wander off in pursuit of greener grass, but in the dark, we hug his knee. David changes from comments about God to communion with God. Because during his valley time, he stayed ever so close to the shepherd, never taking his eyes off of him. He had experienced God in a way there that had, that, that had ushered him into an intimacy with that almighty shepherd. And as we continue our study in Psalm, and we look at life's hurts, I invite you to a familiar resting place, an oasis, if you would, where we will see God is closer than you think in times of crisis. And my prayer this morning is that God so imprint his truth in your heart that you will find your confidence in him rise above the storm clouds in your life, even as David had done in this psalm. Let's take a few moments and look at David's secrets to confidence in times of crisis. Number one, God wills valley times to get you to a better place. God wills valley times to get you to a better place. I asked Brother Ralph the other night. I said, well, you've got some transitions going on in your life. I love his answer. He may not even remember what he said. He said, well, not too many, just, just, just a couple. Just a couple? But you see, when you're walking with God, and you have a confidence in God, there's not a whole lot of transitions that come to you. Anybody that asked me, and, and we had on our sign out front that, uh, that we were grandparents, and I, and I would run into people in, in unusual places throughout the city here, uh, here in Jinx, and they would say, oh, your grandpa. I instantly pull out my phone with my picture of Kelsey on it. Because I have other pictures that you haven't seen if you'd like to see. I can hold them at the door for you if you'd like. Because she, she's all right. She was gesturing to me the other night. We have a webcam, and we get on the webcam, and we can look at it. <laughs> Jeff had the webcam more on him, and she was kind of in the side. And, and I said, son, pan over to her. <laughs> I said, I love you, but not nearly as much anymore. <laughs> and he said, oh, I see how it is. I said, good. <laughs> good. 
But you know, God wills valley times for us to get to a better place. And when Brother Ralph shared that with me, he says, oh, just a couple, I thought, wow, wow. I want that bedrock faith. I remember when Dudley passed. Geneva just rock solid. How does that happen? Why didn't they fall apart? Why didn't they collapse? Because their faith, their belief is in Almighty God. They know the voice of the shepherd. Amen? They know that voice. They know that voice. In the first four verses of Psalm 23, David takes the gentle picture of a shepherd with his sheep to describe the relationship God has with us and we with him. Everything makes sense in our understanding of a shepherd leading his flock to green grass and calm waters. And then we get to verse 4, and it doesn't fit. And the valley of the shadow of death conjures thoughts of dangerous situations where a sheep's life is in jeopardy unless that shepherd is alert and attentive and, and paying attention. But why would a sheep go through such a place? Not because he strayed off in sin. That's not really the point here. But it's because the shepherd is pictured as going with the sheep, not snatching him back to that pasture that he left behind. No, no, no. The, sheep, the, sheep, the reason the sheep's going through that valley is because he's being led by the shepherd into that valley. The connection between verses 3 and 4 confirms this. The path through that valley is also one of the paths of righteousness in which God leads us. It says, He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. So we've got the picture of the great shepherd, we've got the water, we've got the green grass, and then we've got trouble in River City. But why would a good shepherd who would lay down his life for his sheep, lead lambs into a valley filled with danger and death threats. There's really only one possible answer, and that's to get them to a better place. Philip Keller wrote a book. He's an Australian shepherd, and he wrote a book entitled A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, and he includes an observation in that book, and I want to lift it for you. It says, The shepherd knows from past experience that predators like coyotes, bears, wolves, or cougars can take cover in these broken cliffs and from their vantage point, prey on his flock. He knows these valleys can be subject to sudden storms and flash floods that send walls of water rampaging down the slopes. There could be rock slides, mud, or a dozen other natural disasters that would destroy or injure his sheep. But in spite of such hazards, he also knows that this is just the best way to take his flock to the high country. He spares himself no pain, no trouble, or time to keep an eye out for any danger that might develop. That's a great analogy and synopsis of why the shepherd might be taking the sheep through that dark valley and why our shepherd leads us through there. When you're walking through some unfamiliar valley and shadows linger, when you have cancer and have to decide whether it will be chemotherapy or some other way, when they're trying to decide as a matter of godly stewardship whether to take your money out of the market or, or, or you're going to let it ride, when your finances are tied and you're taking yet another job to make ends meet, just remember this. Your shepherd has appointed even this hard time as one of his paths of righteousness. He's leading you through this valley for reasons that probably won't be apparent, but rest assured he is taking you to the high country where the sun is warm and the grass is even greener. 
Every valley is a pathway to something better. Psalm 84 and verse 11 says, No good does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. That's your memory verse on the back of your bulletin that we want you to be working on this week. Memorize that verse. Implant it in your heart. Paul put it this way in Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. The valley isn't good, but the shepherd is. He knows the way. The second truth that David shares with us here is that the shepherd has you covered physically, emotionally, and spiritually. David tells us how to be fearless in adversity. He tells us that even in the valley of the shadow of death, he, he didn't dread the distress that he was going to face or cringe in the face of crisis. How do you fight fear when you don't know what's going to happen next? He can see your imagination works overtime. How did David do that? Well, he tells us that his confidence came from three sources. He stayed in God's presence. He saw God's power. And he sensed God's leading. Stayed in God's presence. Saw God's power. And he sensed God's leading. Now look at verse 4. David says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He speaks, first of all here, of God's nearness, his presence. When you step into your valley and it's so dark you can't even see the path ahead, and you sense the possibility that there is predators and enemies laying in wait for you, your shepherd has something he wants you to hear. I will be with you. I will be with you. One of the most powerful rooms in our church is our new prayer room that we've developed. And I hope that you will spend time in there. I hope you will avail yourself of that room. I hope you will spend some time with God, communing and talking and discussing. And when God impresses things on your heart, I don't want you to write your name, but we've got paper on the wall. Would you just write that down, journal uh, for us what God might be saying to your heart? Because, see, it's really important that others of us are encouraged by what God's saying to you. Because God talks to you, does he not? He'll do it if you'll listen. Many of you went through 13 weeks, 12, 13 weeks of experiencing God. And so what do you do at the end of that study? When the book lessons run out, what do you do with that? Well, you keep working it. That's what you do. You keep working it. He's invited us all to join him. We develop a relationship with him. He invites us to join his work. We've got to get on our knees and pray. Wait till we hear from God. And when you hear from God, move out. Move. Move on it. You might be a hidden song leader sitting in this church and I don't even know it. Come on, get up, come on. I'm ready to sit back down. Corey did a great job today, didn't he? So proud of him. Amen. <clears throat> I know he's not looking for that, but I just wanted to tell you how much I how proud of him I am, how much I appreciate him. You know, he, these are new songs for me, and he, says, he, tells, he tells Mom, he says, Mom, I don't think Dad can sing these songs. <laughs> He's right. <laughs> He's right. He's right. Because I'm, I'm just, I'm so stuck in Southern gospel. I'm stuck there. I'm sorry. That's where I'm at. Put, put the gaiters on, and my hands are up. I'm going. You know, <laughs> and, 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 but the words that God is putting in the hearts of some of these new songwriters are so powerful. We would be remiss 
to just dismiss them and not try to experience them. So we're going to. We're going to. Hallelujah. And I want to thank him for his desire. He said, Dad, we need drums, we need bass. I said, I, I agree. So he's already praying. I want you to pray. Because God's going to raise up. Right? God's going to raise up a mighty army. Amen? If we believe. If we believe. He just wants us to join him. But you see, he speaks of his presence. The shepherd says, don't run to drugs. Don't resort to drink. Don't find other su- some other substitute that will fill in the valley. All you need is your shepherd. Hebrews chapter 13, latter part of verse 5 and verse 6, it says, he, he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Bank on him. He's there. He's with you in those valleys. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? read a great story by a guy named Kenneth Wilson. Tells of growing up in Pittsburgh. Let me lift from the, from the story. That house in which we lived on the side of one of Pittsburgh's hills was three stories high in the front and four in the back. The bottom layer was the cellar and the top was what we called the third floor. It was really a finished attic, the ceiling of which was cut into shadow geometric shapes by dormer windows. I don't know what a dormer window is, but some of you will know. Up there were two bathrooms, a hallway, and a mysterious storage room for trunks that always smelled of mothballs and history. What does history smell like? I don't know. Our family slept there because the second floor was usually rented out for a tenant to help pay the rent. What was unnerving for Kenneth was that as the youngest, he had to go to bed first. He had to brave the floor of the dark bedroom. Let me lift again from the article. That bed in that room on the third floor seemed to be at the end of the earth, remote from human habitation, close to unexplained noises and dark secrets. At my urging, my father would try to stop the windows from rattling, wedging uh, wooden matchsticks into the cracks, but they always rattled in spite of his efforts. Sometimes he would read me a story, but inevitably the time would come when he would turn out the light and shut the door, and I would hear his steps on the stairs growing fainter and fainter. Then all would be quiet except for the rattling windows and my cowering imagination. Once I remember my father said, would you rather I leave the light on and go downstairs or turn the light out and stay with you for a while? I chose presence with darkness over absence with light. And you know, isn't that not what our Heavenly Father wants us to do? In darkness, choose presence. Hold him close. Hold him close. Thursday as I was at the hospital with the Burnhams and Shelly was just in a basket case because her daughter's going to be operated on it. Oh my gosh, she can't go back there. She said, I could just ride on the bed here. I could just ride right here. And the nurse looked at her funny. She said, I, listen, I, I won't say a word. I'll just be in the corner. Right. I'm sure the doctor could not perform the surgery that he's done hundreds and hundreds of times without her help guiding his hand. So they didn't let her go back. But it was like she had lost her first love as they wheeled her out and we carried Shelly back into the waiting room. And she would gaze up and she would go back down. And just Steve all the time saying, Get out, come on, let's go. Kept wanting to divert and go back. Yeah, you know, it's just... But that's a mom's love, is it not? 
that's a picture of the shepherd who sees us go out of sight and wants to be with us. I will never leave you or forsake you. Secondly, he saw God's power. A shepherd's rod has a two-foot club made of uh, of oak, it, 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 was a, it was that type of club. It had a rounded head, whitt, uh, whittled uh, from the knot of a tree. It had sharp bits of metal pounded into it. That club was used to defend the flock against attacks. It pictures the shepherd's power wielded against overpowering enemies. David said he had no fear in adversity because of the comfort of God's power protecting him from that which would ruin him. And you need not fear 1 John 4, 4 says, He that's in me is greater than he that's in this world. Can you say amen? Because, folks, when you face those times of crisis, he's there. Then the third source of David's confidence and courage is God's leading. God's leading. Your staff comforts me, he said. He was referring to that shepherd's crook with its hook on the end. A good shepherd would use it to guide the sheep, lest any would stray away. Just a gentle tap of that staff on the lamb's side would move him back into the fold, and the crook could gather up a sheep from a place where it might have fallen. David felt comforted that his shepherd was guarding his steps, making sure that he makes it through the darkness safely. David was supremely confident as the worship team comes to help me close not only about his present circumstances, but of the grace in the future, God's grace in the future that would see him all the way home. He believed that valley times were appointed for his good. He learned things about God that could be learned no other way in those deep ravines of life. He stayed close, trusted in God's protection and guidance all the way. All because he could say, the Lord is my shepherd. Let's pray together. Friend, God, Father, I pray that everyone in this room, when they find themselves weak, in the dark, uncertain of the future, when all the color has drained out of life, when their soul is downcast, Father, would they look up? Would they fix your, their eyes on Jesus, our good shepherd? Would they stick close to him? Would they trust that he knows the way through the valley and that, you, that, that they will be seen safely through by their great shepherd? Father, would they believe that you have good reasons for taking them that route even though it's hard and unfamiliar and we don't see it and father may we hold on to the truth that there is something better waiting on the other side of that valley father this morning 